Brian Johnson, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. The show is brought to you by Pariah Pickups. What you want, what you need, what you love from the heart of Detroit, Rock City. Check them out on PariahPickups.com. The show is also brought to you by Fleming Properties. Steve Fleming is one of my best pals, and if you're looking to buy or sell your home in Canada or the U.S., reach out to Steve at FlemingProperties.com. And lastly, do not forget to check out Thursday Night Record Club on the Brent Jensen Music YouTube channel. All right, today on No Sleep Till Sudbury, my guest is veteran Canadian musician and Whiskey Jack band leader, Mr. Duncan Fremlin. Duncan and his band were regulars on the Tommy Hunter show back in the day, and they were also the backup band for Stompin' Tom Connors on his nationwide tours of the 90s. Without any further ado, here he is. Duncan, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much for coming by. I appreciate it. I drove all the way down from the Sioux to be here. <laughs> so right off the hop, I would have Right off the hop. That. You're a Sudbury boy. I'm taking you on right away. That's right. That's right. So I wanted to talk about that right away. You're a Sioux boy. I'm a Sudbury boy. And Northern boys stick together. Well, let's not go that far. <laughs> In my world, uh, there was always this uh, big... Uh, gap between the two cities, mostly because you had that big smokestack that sent the pollution our way. That's right. And uh, we weren't very happy about that when that happened. Might have been probably in the 60s sometime. Is that right? You built that damn thing. And uh, we're still not happy with it. The Superstack. Yeah, the Superstack. Back when it was Inco. Wow. Really? Still not My resentments go deep, Brent. I... I I didn't even know that Sue St. Marie was uh, disappointed about that. <laughs> it was news at the time. And, I, I, you know, it's not like we needed fuel to build up resentment towards Sudbury because right. already you were three hours closer to Toronto than we were, and that pissed us off. That's right. And you were bigger than us, and that pissed us off. And I, there might, oh, you had a university before we had Algoma. Right. And that pissed us off. So there was a lot, a lot of built up resentment there over the years. Yeah. The, the best part of this, though, was North Bay had, they had the, uh, in those days, they called it the insane, insane asylum. That's you right. Remember? And I, I think they probably still do. We don't call it that anymore. But no. Uh, so those, the three cities were known for certain things. And uh, that's right. Yeah. And uh, they used to call North Bay, when I was, when I lived in Sudbury, this is terrible. They used to call it Nut Bar. Yeah. So that's terrible. It is terrible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it was a different time and it was a different, so it's different. It's, it's different up there. Let's say that. It's, it is. It's it different is. Up there. I visit fairly often. I don't know about how often you go back, but it, it's, it's in my blood. There's no question. Oh, me too. Like it truly is. I go up there once every summer. I'll go to the island. I have some friends up there. Yeah. First of all, it's God's country. But second, like that's, I grew up there. So. You know, it's a special place. Yeah. So, Duncan, uh, you are the banjo player, the band leader of Whiskey Jack, and you are also an author. I am. You've written a book called My Good Times with Stomp and Tom, and uh, it's a fantastic book. It details the relationship that you had with Stomp and Tom, the time that you spent on the road, particularly with him in the 90s, because Whiskey Jack was the touring band behind uh, Stomp and Tom. It was one of the touring bands. Tom was very particular about how I described my relationship with him. So it's Tom historically has been very hands-on where his career is con- concerned. I don't know exactly when that started, but at some point in time, he just took charge of because he wasn't getting what he wanted from 
the broadcasting industry right. wasn't getting what he wanted from media in, gen- in, in general. He had a clear vision as to what he wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, just it's like a laser beam. He knew exactly mm. what he wanted to convey in his music and in the image Stomp and Tom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I say that in quotes because there was Tom Connors, the family man, and there then there was Stomp and Tom. Yeah. So he didn't get that same cooperation from all the others. So he kind of took control of his uh, of his career, and he was very particular. I you know I made a point in all my advertising. Uh, whenever I did a show that mentioned his name, I made sure I sent him a copy of the poster oh. to make sure he was okay with how I worded this. So the way I like to describe it, Brent, is. Uh, when I met Tom in 1990, which was the comeback tour, he had been off the road for 13 years in protest of the Juno thing, etc. I did a whole number of things in my years with Tom. I was the uh, tour manager. I was uh, the guardian of the board because that. people would try to steal the board or borrow it or you know whatever. So I had to guard the board. I had I was the the beer monger had to make sure the first tour, it was room temperature golden, which you couldn't get west of the Ontario-Manitoba border. And then he switched to, he Molson pissed him off. So then he switched to Moosehead and they didn't piss him off. So he drank Moosehead right to the end, room temperature. I was banjo player, vocalist, band leader. Uh, over the years, all of these different roles I had. Yeah. Uh, but I was never the banjo player or the band leader or the anything. There was not the anything. It was mm. Tom had too much control over his career to give want to assign one role to one person. Oh, really? Hmm. Well, in my mind, you are the banjo player. Thank you very much. Right. <laughs> Thank you. My wife thinks that too, and she's <laughs> not she even does. a fan of Stomp and Tom. So. Oh, really? Yeah. No. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, they had met, I'm sure, right? Pardon me? They had met. Oh, no. Oh, actually, yes, they did. She was at the 75th birthday party. Yeah. She and Lena got along famously, and she would have gotten along fine with Tom. She just didn't like the music. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, that's a funny thing, too, because in your book, uh, you said that when you uh, were a younger guy, you had a buddy, and you, you were in his house, and he put on Bud the Spud, and you said, what the hell is this? You know, and that was my reaction too. At university was the first time I'd heard Snop and Tom and somebody put it on and it was almost jokey. And I thought like, what is this? You know, I'd never heard it before, but then you and I kind of followed the same path. You realized the integrity of the music and you developed a a much kind of broader appreciation for it, you know, considering Tom as a Canadian and the kind of person that he was. Yeah. And I can't really say that I enjoy his interpretations of much of the material. I, I really like a well-rehearsed, polished, beautifully produced performance. And Tom never gave us that. Tom mm-hmm. was a, he was a Woody Guthrie, Wilf Carter, troubadour with a guitar on the side of the road playing his songs. So the song, I'm all over the song. I, I think I'm the biggest fan of Tom's songs that you can have. I've In fact, I've devoted my eight years of my life to taking those songs and reinterpreted them in a modern, proficient, you know, kind of a slick and polished, bringing in the best musicians that Ontario has or Canada has. You know, some of the virtuosos, so I brought them all together in my band, Whiskey Jack, and we've taken those songs 
and we we make them into a modern. Same thing's been done with uh, with Woody Guthrie songs. Same mm-hmm. things. Actually, you think about it. Even some of the early Bob Dylan songs with just him and a guitar. P- many people have taken those songs and made them into something bigger as well. So I think that's kind of the way I've looked at it. So I'm a big fan. I'm just not, a, and I'm a big fan of his voice. I'm just not a, a big fan of the way he interpreted the songs. I think the other thing that I always remember him saying was, he said, "You know, I'm not, I'm not a, a great guitar player." I'm a poet who puts music to his lyrics. Mm. And the only other performer I can think of that might have said the same thing is Leonard Cohen. Because uh, I always thought, I, you know, I read um, in university that first book that he wrote, and he had been famous for poetry up, and this was 1970, what the heck was it? Beautiful Losers, was it? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So, And then he kind of became known as a melody man after that, and he became one of the great ones, of course. Right. But- so they were lyric guys, right? And oh, then they yeah. add the music to the lyric, and all of a sudden, it explodes and becomes something. And Tom's lyrics would sometimes, the more I live with some of these songs, I can name a couple of songs that you've never heard of, but we recorded them, and when we recorded them, they kind of came alive and we went, wow, is that what, you know? So I think in the decades to come, years after today, I think in the, maybe in the centuries to come, his songs will be reinterpreted in many, many different ways. And I think we'll, generations will really discover just how brilliant this man was. Because anybody who's known him or toured with him or you know, has spent time with him really appreciate the brilliance of his, un, you know, virtually uneducated, but you never know it. Yeah, yeah. And this book uh, was eye-opening to me on a number of fronts in that way. But I, I want to touch on something that you reminded me of that I didn't know about Tom. So, you know, he preferred lo-fi recordings, we'll say. So the, the story that you tell is very interesting. You're in a studio and you've got these really great monitors for playback. And the producer says, uh, okay, we're going to... And Tom says, uh, nobody has speakers like that. What else have you got? So they, you, you fished around in a closet and came out with these small speakers. And he says, what are those? Well, they're bookshelf speakers. Nobody has those. And so the, at the, the it's almost like telling a joke. At the very end, you, you were playing the recordings back through a clock radio speaker because he said, I want to, to hear how it sounds on a boat. My, my fan is a guy who's fishing on a boat. So I want to know how, how it's going to sound to that guy. And I thought that was fascinating, but it makes perfect sense knowing what you know about Stompin' Tom Connors. There's another lesson in there too. Uh, and I, as a businessman, I've, I always watched Tom, his career, with great interest because he achieved great success by, I think, knowing who his audience was. So I don't care if you're a real estate agent, a plumber, a media guy, a PR guy, whoever you are, uh, success is more likely to happen if you know exactly who it is you're selling to. Tom knew in the first tour in 1990, that was, we were in the middle of a, brutal recession I just i mean they were in industries closing and free trade was about to come so the shift had already you know a lot of the jobs had gone started to go to mexico and so we would try we had a 75 city tour in the summer of 1990 and uh, we would go to a, a community and i'm thinking to this brandon manitoba and trail bc we didn't have great crowds mostly because people couldn't afford the tickets and they couldn't afford the tickets because they had been laid off. So, uh, I, I'm 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 
standing at the back of the stage watching the audience. Tom's up there with, and in the front row, there are people with lumber jackets on, baseball caps. That's his audience. They're crying because in their mind, Tom has come back to save the country. The country's gone to hell on a basket. We're giving everything away to the, the States and Mexico, and we're left with nothing. So, and this was Tom's message. I mean, he, he slammed Mulroney from the stage. And I mean, it just, it was, it was quite brutal in his uh, assessment. So yeah, he, he knew his audience and that's who he played to. That's who the lyrics are aimed at. And, you know, today I got a, unfortunately his audience is diminishing. I don't know how much, I don't know how many years my show has left because they are now in their eighties, this audience, seventies and eighties and nineties. And uh, there's a lot fewer of them today than there were seven years ago when I started this, eight years ago. I will tell you that when I was at school, there was a massive, massive respect for Tom. We saw him. I, I think he, he played, I think we saw him at the townhouse. Um, Do you remember the year? 91, maybe. Well, we played Sud We played the arena in 1990, the comeback tour. And then he came back in 93, and we were with him in 93. Whiskey Jack was with him, which was the second time he was in Sudbury. Unless he came up and did something, he might have. He, I, I want to say that he played at the school, because often bands would come through and play in the cafeteria. It was called the Great Hall. Okay. He may, he may yeah, have maybe. done that. But there was a massive fan base. We knew all the songs. We knew, you know, Bud the Spud, like all of it. It's, of course, every Saturday night, right? But it wasn't just a passing thing. People would play Stomp and Tom music, and it was it, it was almost part of our identity. And there were guys who were, you know, five years younger than me. So they're in their 40s today still, and they're still listening to Stomp and Tom. Well, tell them to come to my show because we need no, more of them. I will, actually. You know, when this airs, I'm going to reach out to them. Well, they, they probably will hear it anyway, but, but I'll bring them along. Yeah. They'd like that. They would like that. Yeah, for sure. So what was it like, Duncan, that 1993 Canada Day gig in Ottawa? So Whiskey Jack had already been around for, I don't know, 15 years at that point. So we had achieved you know, a certain level of success on the CBC. We were regulars on the Tommy Hunter show. We had toured the country a few times and done some big shows, big festivals, and played for you know, a lot of people, thousands and thousands of people. But we didn't really... We weren't really prepared for the emotion of this show because, again, think about it was 93. Uh, Montreal had just won the cup. We were slowly coming out of the recession. We were still in it, but there was starting to be some hope that uh, – and anyway, the, the energy in the, in, the, uh, in the country was kind of charged. It was the perfect day, not a cloud in the sky, beautiful day. Mm -hmm. We get out there. For me personally, the, you know, there was the band leader who was a friend, the producer – was a real estate client of mine. Uh, so I, all of a sudden I came out and I knew all these people. Well, Doug Wilde, the keyboard player from the Sioux, right. was the one of the musical directors on the show. And so for me, I come out and, and it's just, it's surreal. It was just not real. And then, you know, by the time we get out there that night, and we had never, I mean, you come out, I don't know if you've ever been to Parliament Hill on Canada yeah. Day, yeah. but that entire, um, what do you call it? It's a, it's it's you oh, know it's that like a, like area a, in the a, middle where a district the yeah market. It, I mean it, it's I don't know they said 
they just said hundred, hundreds of thousands of people. And they were oh, all, easily. and it's on YouTube. I have that, the show on YouTube or a performance on YouTube and they're all waving their, their flags. And again, there's so much emotion in the air. Uh, I don't think I've ever felt, I'm not big on pride of anything, but I don't think I ever felt any more good about Canada than I did on that day. And I thank Tom for that. Yeah. Fantastic. Great story in the book. I loved it. Gave me goosebumps. Yeah. Okay, my friend, let's talk about your songs. Yeah. So you have got five songs here that make your skin vibrate. We're going to start with Eddie Arnold. This one's going back to 1963, I think, right? Cattle Call. Uh, Vocally, it's maybe one of the prettiest, you know, he's, he's got one of the, you know, I'm a, I'm a product of the, of the Perry Como show, the Andy Williams show. Bob Hope, uh, that era, you know, before before Elvis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The so, big band stuff. Yeah, the big band stuff. Uh, uh, so I'm a, I'm a product of that, and I had been raised singing in the church and at Kiwanis festivals as a boy soprano. So yeah, I was my ear was pretty finely tuned for. In fact, that's probably why I'm playing music today. But so when I hear Ed, Eddie Arnold sing this song, I you know I just stop everything and just try to try to follow that beautiful voice as it floats through the air in this perfect way. So uh, I, I'm, I think that's why it shakes my foundation. Yeah. It's terrific. It is truly. And he does the, he does that falsetto, that male falsetto that it's. Since I lost my voice at 11 or whatever, I was a boy soprano at, in the festivals when I was a kid. And, oh. and then, you know, you, a young boy loses. He become his voice changes, right? Right, right. Well, uh, I never did master my vo- uh, falsetto after that, and it's always been uh, a dream of mine to get my falsetto back. So I'll have to live vicariously through uh, Eddie Arnold's falsetto <laughs> and enjoy his. Next, you've got Gordon Lightfoot, uh, Pussy Willis, and Cattails. So th- this is this is a great song. This is the opening chord for this song. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't. It, it's a little dissonant, isn't it? Well, it's a bit weird because the 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 bass strings it, it sounds, and then it's almost like two chords put together. It's very odd. I've never tried to play it, Brand. I've always just enjoyed listening to it. Yeah. Um. So I don't know what that chord is. I I know that like the beginning of the, the beginning was it help where they just strum the the open um, the guitar with you know. Sort of that idea yeah. sets the tone, and then it becomes this beautiful lyrical, floaty, oh, yeah. you know, thing. And Gordon, of course, early on, and certainly in my career, he left a, an impression. Then I got to meet him and sing with him wow. later on in life, and so he had to be a one of his songs had to be on this list, and that's one that has survived. The years I've left behind other songs. Mm-hmm. I don't like his version of Alberta Bound, for example. I like the Good Brothers version or Whiskey Jack's version better. But that Pussy Willow Cattail song that has stayed with me, I can listen to that any day. I'm glad you picked this and not, you know, one of the more well-known hits. It's a beautiful song. That cello is so nice. Billy Joel was interviewed on um, some podcast a few years ago. Um, and they asked what his influences was, and he said, Gordon Lightfoot. No. Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Yeah. I told Gordon this uh, years later after a show, we were backstage, and I said, did you know, by any chance, that, did you know, would it surprise you to say that Billy Joel thought you and it? And he was, he was surprised, but. Wow. Yeah. 
I was surprised. I found out a couple of years ago, Billy Joel started out in a heavy metal band. I did not know that. Yeah. New York. Weird, eh? Weird. Yeah. Uh, Longview is next with High Lonesome. I don't know this one. I'm a good Presbyterian boy. I don't know if you have Presbyterianism in Sudbury or not. I know you're pretty uneg and not, you're an uh, unreligious a bunch of heathens up there. But <laughs> but in this in the Sioux in, in area where you know we're fairly sophisticated. In <laughs> Sorry, man. I can't. I can't help. Wow. Uh, I know. I, I told you this. This runs deep. This uh, hostility towards Sudbury. Um, so I, I, I was. I learned to sing partially in the church and. So Whiskey Jack for years, my guitar player for forty years was a uh, was a Mennonite, the son of a Mennonite minister, okay. Bob McNiven, and he sang. Growing up, he was in the family band called the Singing McNivens, and his dad, being a Mennonite minister, they would travel from town to town in the northern seaboard of the United States because Bob was born in Pennsylvania, and they would sing gospel in all of these you know, revivalist tents, yeah. essentially. So when Bob joined the band, our passion for gospel music kind of overflowed and we did we would go into a church in a town we do a show at at the bar at night but we'd be able to go into the church in the afternoon and sing you know uh, a, a gospel set so uh, there had to be a gospel song on this yeah and that particular song um not combines a beautiful banjo and uh, alan o'brien's great lead singer beautiful harmony complex arrangements really, a lot of movement in the harmony you know it's mm. kind of keeps your interest and I don't know. I just always want to sing it when I hear it. I'm going to give it a listen. Uh, Tommy Sands, Dolores Keene, and Vedran Smilovich. Is that right? Is that close? <laughs> sure. <laughs> so close. Tommy Sands is the the, the name here, uh, Irish uh, singer. I was going to say, is he Irish? Was asked. They were at one of, so this must have been 30, 25 years ago, maybe. A producer was put together a Pete Seeger Compilation, okay. uh, tribute to Pete Seeger. So it's a double album set. Bruce Coburn's in it. Ani DeFranca's in it. Many performers. And they were all asked to take a Pete Seeger song and interpret it. So, and it's it's all over the map. It's uh, But quite all of them, I have no idea Pete contrib either wrote the lyrics or the song mm. or the melody of any of these songs, including Where Have All the Flowers Gone. They've taken the bagpipe break solos in this thing and it's just got this beautiful i don't know it really speaks to my celtic background my uh, mm. my roots are you know scottish and so it's in the blood i, I can't you know my cousin plays bagpipes the, the band sometimes his name's david fremlin he's a set designer for the movie industry and he's the bagpiper in men with brooms if oh. you remember that movie yeah so anyway i get him sometimes to come on and play Whiskey Jack out as we're starting our show. So bagpipes had to be on that list. Yeah, yeah. nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, your last song, Duncan, is I Love This Guy, Leon Russell. This is a great pick, too. Uh, Rolling in My Sweet Baby's Arms. I love Tightrope. I love... Uh, Masquerade? Yeah. Oh. But he like Leon Russell has played with everyone from the Stones. Has inspired to, everybody. Right. Elton John. Elton John said he wouldn't be doing what he is today, doing today if it hadn't been for Leon Russell. Yeah. What a statement that is. What a statement, yeah. Right? 
Yeah. So just fantastic. And and we were talking about people who don't get their due as musicians. Uh, in my mind, Leon Russell is one of those. Well, you know, he was a session musician back in the day and he played on Mamas and Papas and Beach Boys and all of these. Uh, and, and in the meantime, was this very talented songwriter and performer. And this particular song comes from his country album from, I think, probably 69 or 70, 71, maybe it's called uh, Hank Wilson's Back. Yeah. So this came out right around that time that there's another album called Will the Circle Be Unbroken that came by Nitty Gritty Dirt Band mm-hmm. that came out probably 72. So it was right around that time when the old country people, the Flat and the Scruggs and the Roy Acuffs got together with the young country performers in Eastern and Western United States, the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, and they kind of merged musically and they came up with Will the Circle Be Unbroken. And that catapulted bluegrass music into the upper echelons. And all of a sudden, Flat and Scruggs were on TV, uh, Jimmy Martin. They were all making money for the very first time in their in their careers. Mother Maybell, uh, you know, goes back to the, the, the Carter family, goes back to the 30s and 40s. And when the producer of uh, Will the Circle Be Unbroken knocked on her door that day and handed her a gold record, she she had totally forgotten she had done that album. She did, she didn't know. Wow. She what am I getting this for? And then she was totally taken aback because she just was so far from the Nashville scene, and sure. it was such a great thing that they were able. Not unlike actually, you think about you hear about Keith Richards talk about uh, the old uh, blues performers that would come to Britain and they would idolize these guys. Oh and, yeah. Or the Beatles being uh, Chuck Berry. The relationship, you know, the, the adulation they had for Chuck Berry. It's Absolutely. sort of like the same idea. The two generations coming together and sort of helping each other. It's very, very cool. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. This song uh, in particular is an old traditional song, right? An old bluegrass song, yes. Do you know the, the, the origin? I don't. This? this is like a, it's funny. It's like an old British war song. It's developed from a song called, I think it was called Bang Bang Lulu, like a very directly crude song. But it was a traditional song, and I think that this song was kind of worked up from that hmm. generations and generations nope, later. did not know yeah. that. Yeah. Flat and Scruggs made it famous, uh, in, at least in my generation, because of, a, I think, the show they did at Carnegie Hall. They, did, they released an album of Flat and Scruggs at Carnegie Hall mm. that still uh, holds up today, and I, that's where I first heard it. And and then Leon adds a bit of country flavor to it. Still yeah. banjo. Yeah. That whole album, that whole Hank Wilson's back album is just one of those interpretations of songs that uh, takes old corny country music and makes it a little more modern and accessible. I think it becomes more accessible to a bigger audience when, when this happens. Uh, yeah. It broadens the scope of it. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. Well, some great songs here, my friend. Thank you very much. I could have chosen, uh, I'm sure you hear this all the more. time, but oh, 50 more. <laughs> but I, What would your next one be? What would number six be? Oh, I've, no, honestly, Brent, there's too many to even, I, I, no, I'm, the, okay, the National Anthem, how's that? I, no, I don't know. I'm kidding. I, 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 I have no idea. I, how about Stomp and Tom? What's, what's, if you could have one song on here, Stomp and Tom, what would it be? Oh, that's, now that's a good question. Um, uh, again, just hearkening back to the fact that I don't or don't enjoy his 
his ballads so much, his more recent ballads. But I really have to go back to the very, very beginning when he stood in that uh, recording studio with him and his guitar and his and and his foot. I don't think he had the boot in those days, but he recorded just him and a guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole album. In fact, he might have done it at the radio station in Timmins. That's right. That's Raw Tom. It's uh, uh, some of the early songs that he wrote. Little Wawa was one of them. Mm-hmm. I'll take that over any other Tom album that he did, except for the one he recorded with us, of course, of course. Yeah, 1993. <laughs> that was called Dr. Stomp and Tom, eh? Right, Dr. Yeah. Stomp and Tom, eh? Yeah. There's some songs on there that we do in our show uh, because they were not written for us, but it, the so compat the music, the, the, the instrumentation and the style of music that we play, which is highly vocalized, like, there's a lot of uh, three, four part harmony. And so the songs that Tom gave us to perform on that CD with, with him mm. lent, lent themselves beautifully to our style. So today I can put on um, Blue Moon Away, for example, which is on that. And I can hear Tom singing Blue Moon Away to Whiskey Jack. Like we were the, we were the supporting band and he was singing to us, even though, you know, we were singing, we were playing to him, but so it was, that's, that's one of the highlights of my career, being able to hear that. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Now that's a good segue into what you're doing now. So where can we go and see you play? Because you've got, it's the stories and songs of Stomp and Tom, but Whiskey Jack is, I think that you're out there. So where can we come and see you? Yeah. Well, the, uh, this is airing, you know, probably in February of 2023. We're doing, a, we're doing one Stomp and Tom show in the spring. In southern Ontario, that's at the Moonshine Cafe. That's priming the pump for a big Eastern Canada tour. So I think that's on the 26th, okay. 25th or 26th of April. If they go to helloouttheer.ca, that'll take the take them to my website. And then we leave the next day for the East Coast, and we're doing 10 days on the East Coast. We come back, and then we're, we're doing Douglas, my, my musical partner, Douglas John Cameron. He and I have a duo called do- Doogie and Dunn. We're busy all summer doing our thing as a duo. And then in the fall, we have three nights at the Orangeville Theater, mm. a long run there. Oh, wow. We have Meaford, Tweed, Bancroft. These are all theater shows with multimedia. I put together, I've written a show and put together a really nice visual, audio, multimedia package that will go with the show. It's a little more... It's a little more uh, scripted than what we usually do. Tom's Tom's concerts were always he called them kitchen parties, unlike most you know uh, big stars. Uh, he encouraged audience the audience to to communicate with them. So uh, the, the some of the shows that I recorded, you can hear Tom try to talk over the audience, but they're all yelling out. Tom, you remember me from the 60s? We had a beer back in, you know, or it would have played Margot's car, you know. So there's all this conversation going on. He eats that up. So yeah. our show has that tone to it. And we didn't want to make it too formal. It has to be, has to have that informal stomp and Tom kind of playfulness. It's very playful. No pretense, Brent. There is mm-hmm. no pretense in anything this guy did. And there's no pretense in our show. It's all, it's all about one thing. And that's to have a good time, to go home with a smile on your face and have a few laughs and be able to sing along to some of these songs. It's uh, And I get paid for this. It's amazing. Isn't it? It's amazing. It's a beautiful <laughs> so thing. Great. 
<laughs> I love it. That's great. I will definitely be in attendance at some point somewhere. You're on my email list. I'll put you there. Perfect. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. And we'll talk about this after the show wraps because I definitely want to come and see you at, at Moonshine if I can. So, okay. yeah. Thank you very much for coming by today. It's been great to it meet has you been in great. person and, and have a great chat. Thank you very you know, much. You've got all these other songs. Come back and we'll talk about five more. We got it. We got CDs coming out, so we'll do it for sure. I'll bring my partner, Douglas John, next time. Perfect. Yeah. You guys can actually do a number if you want. Got guitar. Hey, here. we could do that. Yeah. We do Absolutely. That. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Duncan Crumlin. Until next time, folks, take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.